This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. All right, well, welcome and welcome back to episode 10 of Microscope. As always, I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your host, Kevin. New host. It's only a second episode. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your interim host. (laughs) No, but he's here for indefinitely. Because you all seem to like that last episode where we talked about beer. It was either Kevin was the highlight of that episode or the beer was the highlight. I think we know the answer to that. Yeah. What's what's near and dear to all our hearts? (laughs) Have I think higher of yourself. Okay. (laughs) Not higher than beer. (laughs) That's just hubris. So because you all like that episode on sort of like that agricultural sort of topic in climate change, we decided that this week or we're gonna do something exactly the same. So it'll be a little differently. So we're going to talk about coffee. Let's talk about how coffee will be affected by climate change. But we're going to alter that slightly and talk about how coffee pollinators will be affected by climate change. Right. So last time we basically just focused on how is barley production going to be affected in the um, kind of attributes that will affect that, like precipitation and temperature, um, direct effects on the barley. But um, today we'll kind of focus on there's really it's uh, it's really a broader system of the um, agricultural product itself and the pollinating species that will um, perform those pollination services to even enable the agricultural uh, cultivation of that product. I gotta put a hold on this, Kevin. In a good way. Well, in a bad way. Well, we'll just say it. We jumped in way too quickly. I want to talk a little bit about how your fame of now being a host on a (laughs) podcast has blossomed. Oh. So, yeah, hold up. Everybody forget what we just talked about. We got to get back to Kevin. So, I think the first step to this was I finally got an Instagram, which I had been kind of – a few friends back home be like, why aren't you on this? Why aren't you on that? It's really like where people are at now, how people are sharing like what's going on in their life. And I'm like, I don't need another one of those shits. I was there for MySpace. I went to <laughs> Facebook. Like, Dude, MySpace was the fucking shit. That though. was tight back then because it was like the Wild West then. It was like only people our age were on there. Dude, it was customizable. There was no corporations like, like putting targeted ads at you. It was just what your friends were putting on there. It was really like grassroots, like punk rock type shit like I'm into. Yeah. Um, well, but, no, I wasn't into punk rock. But like <laughs> a lot of drama started from like who is their who's top, your top ten eight? friend or top eight or whatever. That is something I don't miss. That stressed me the fuck out. Really? Like, what, what are that they going to think? Out too. What are they going to think if I bump them down to three? Even though they're like, oh, it's not an order, but clearly we read left to right and naturally your brain will naturally put it into a kind of hierarchy. Yeah, no, it's funny because like I remember there would be drama of like someone coming up to me in high school and being like, did you see that you're now in his top four and not top three? I'm like, like, what? I didn't know. (laughs) What? Looking back, how fucking stupid. Yeah, a lot of things went like that. Yeah. Whatever. 
But um, yeah, okay. So I got to get on this Instagram, and it's a uh, it's a little too intuitive and nice, even for an old fart like me trying to figure out new, newfangled old. social media. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my biggest uh, adjustment so far with this. Is co- learning how to use. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, and you know, this has been the conversation that Sam and I have all the time. It's like, Mike, use social media, be able to use technology, but it's it's like not a part of my life. Like I, yeah, I use I look at Facebook or Snapchat or what is it Instagram, either before I'm going to bed, or like. I mean, this isn't podcast appropriate, but like yeah. when I'm pooping, yeah. or like no, totally. you know, like yeah, that is the status quo. So like, I don't know. Great. Now all now all our followers know that every time I post something, I'm like, it's either late at night everybody. or on the toilet. Yeah, I think this is something. <laughs> this is really gonna resonate with people. Like, oh, I'm not the only one who does that. We all know everybody. Does everybody that. does oh, that. On. Yeah. No. It's very interesting. Like, I mean, people used to read the newspaper, and what is this now? It's basically our main source of new media, but it's just refreshed constantly, and you're getting live updates of everybody's life. But you know what? At least it's of people you like and of things you want to see. Yeah, as opposed to like just curated. Here's some stuff you may or may not. Here's something. Here's what happened at the county fair this weekend. Oh my god! Tell me, I'm not following the county fair on Facebook or whatever. Cheryl Smith just her pumpkin was the largest. <laughs> okay, but speaking of pumpkins, let's move on to another fruiting plant, mm-hmm. the coffee plant. Much or, more important. Oh, what's it? What's its scientific name? That's a great. Candidatus albicans. Oh, if you just pulled that off, I'm gonna be extremely. Impressed. I'm like dead ass. That's probably it. Total side note: dead ass is definitely only an East Coast thing. Yeah, I've heard it uh, referred to as being a, a New York specific kind of like hovering around there. Because a lot of people are just like, what does that even mean? I'm like, dead ass. Like, I don't know. Seriously. I'm being truthful. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Oh, <laughs> uh, so it's not Canada Albicans. It's Café Arabica. Ah, right. It's totally pronounced yeah, properly. Yeah, we've heard that word before. Yeah. It's on the now that I think about it, Canada Albicans is the wrong pronunci- pronunciation of that fungus that like lives in your mouth. Oh, <laughs> those, those binomial nomenclature oh, Latin God. names, they all get jumbled up in there. If you're still in high school and you had the opportunity of taking Latin, you should. Hmm. You definitely should. Great that was point. Definitely yeah, especially that. if you want to be in the biological sciences. Definitely. Used heavily. All those prefixes, suffixes, and then it's not. It takes a lot of the challenge that most people find um, challenging about reading an academic paper for the first time. If you have that kind of background in Latin or Greek, is also used a lot um, as far as prefixes and suffixes, and that's where a lot of these big scientific jargony words kind of get their meaning from. They're all composed of just kind of cutting and pasting together um, these different Latin and Greek roots. Which the scientists thought, oh, this will be easy for people. Yeah, that it's was a, not. That was dumb. Yeah, they should have just used, um, at least for English, like Germanic roots. Make like you know how we say, it's hot-ish outside. We'll make up some dumb word. Like we should really start doing that for science. Like we making up words that kind of sound kind of stupid because they sound made up, but they're made up of fragments of English words or very like colloquial, colloquially common. So more, so it's accessible to more people. Exactly. Well, it's. 
I really like how the whole field of um, fruit fly research, mm -hmm. they name specific genes based off the mutations they cause. So they have ones, they have a gene called fuzzy, which yeah. like literally affects whether or not fuzz appears on the fly or like wingless. Yeah. Whether or not the wings form like that. Yeah, they, I, they tried there. Yeah, <laughs> scientists should do a better job of making their jargon accessible to more people. Perfect. Because if yeah. more people can use the science, society gets better overall. Boom. And because preach, <laughs> listen to us. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, so back to the coffee. So today we're going to talk not only about how climate change will affect our ability to grow coffee, right? Which, speaking of, Kevin and I are actually drinking coffee right now. Right this second. Because, I don't know, we decided to record super early this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and we just have to wake yeah, up. Yeah, I've got to get the juices flowing here. So, but not only are we going to talk about how climate change will affect our ability to grow these plants, but also how the pollinators, which make these, the fruiting bodies, which we get caffeine from, like, how those affect their production. So this was a really awesome study that came out um, by a group in Taiwan. Um, and you have the author, Pablo Mbach, and he came out of the lab of Patrick. Oh, my God. I should have practiced this word. <laughs> <laughs> my best guess? Go for Patrick it. Patrick R. Rohrdans. <laughs> Rohrdans. Rohrdans. Oh, oh, my. We should have someone just tell us how to pronounce names. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so, okay. They did, like, a really awesome study, and they took into consideration that a lot of people have already looked at whether or not, you know, certain plants can grow in certain regions, which... On this podcast, we've talked about um, sort of like how species are moving to sort of higher altitudes and how like one thing I remember specifically talking about is in corals, like entire coral ecosystems are shifting to the mm, north. Different latitudes. Because yeah. the water is cooler in there. So essentially they, they looked, you know, they understood that we know where coffee will be mm -hmm. in the next hundred years. But... Coffee actually comes from the fruiting bodies that form on these trees. And right, we roast them, we grind them up, and then we pour hot water on them. And so they, you know, they looked at it and they were like, hey, these fruiting bodies form when pollinators come in and drop pollen on there. Mm -hmm. And there's actually been numerous studies that show that the different types of pollinators, so in this particular case, it's bees. So the more types of bees you have, the greater yield. So, okay, there's actually three things. You have an increase in coffee bean yield. Mm -hmm. You have an increase in how large these the coffee fruits bean, are. Yeah. And then you actually, they're much heavier. Mm -hmm. So having more bees buy a coffee plant yeeds or yeeds 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 <laughs> yields, yields to more coffee yeah, production and better coffee well I don't know about that who's <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's subjective yeah. where do you get that information from? stuff <laughs> yeah but again um, along with all of that the way they kind of predicted how those different factors will change really went along great with uh, um, the episode from two weeks ago 
because um, they use kind of the same metric about how climate change will really affect um, those kind of metrics by defining climate change as when do we curb the output of anthropogenic carbon dioxide? Do we do it in the next 20 years? Do we do it in the next 40 years? Do we do it in the next 60 years? Um, and so given all those climate scenarios, again, from a best case scenario where we curb it as soon as possible versus a worst case scenario where um, carbon dioxide emissions continue to grow over the years. And how is that going to affect, again, how well are coffee um, plants able to grow in the areas where they currently grow? And how do the bee populations of those areas also fare given those same kind of best case to worst case scenario? So yeah, exactly. And there's been other studies that have shown that these benefits that come from the pollinators are, so they're beneficial when you have at least five to 20 different types of bees. So if you have four types of bees, it's not going to be beneficial. Not that it's not gonna be beneficial, but. It's not as beneficial as having a greater diversity of the population. It's not gonna be beneficial enough to make like a lo that large enough of an impact. Exactly, exactly. And again, this goes back to talks of biodiversity. I'm sure this has come up in past episodes where a loss of biodiversity will destabilize an ecosystem, meaning if there were, um, so in this case, if there's some places that have 20 different species of bees coexisting in the same ecological niche, and you drop that down to now there's only five, things are gonna be different, especially when it comes um, to the ability of those five species alone to pollinate all of these um, you know, agriculturally scaled up uh, plantations of coffee um, to be sure to get um, to that coffee production quota that they're, um, they've been adhered to um, up till now. Exactly, exactly. So coming back to the study, they, they took it in sort of like this two-prong approach. So they said climate change will affect coffee production in two ways. One being very di direct, which is literally how will the heat and drought and climate of these regions affect the plants, right? So mm -hmm. where can we grow them? Where will they not survive? Mm -hmm. And then the other is indirectly in how will climate change affect where there these coffee plant pollinators will exist. Mm -hmm. And I think I think when Kevin and I were talking about this before this episode, I you know. I alluded to like this being like a perfect sentence. Like mm -hmm. this is what science is about. Like this is something we find, right? We climate change affects coffee plants. But then you got to look at it from this other section and that climate change affects the pollinators, which Ooh, then affects, affects the coffee. Plants. Exactly. And I think last week or 2 weeks ago, we talked about how like water also can affect that. Like Absolutely. in terms of beer and yeah. that's, you know, and this was, oh, I feel like we're reminiscing. Because <laughs> I, I, in the first episode with Sam and I, how I talked about how, like, there's a level of complexity in a lot of these studies, mm -hmm. and especially in climate change, that you, you just have to trust the experts. Like, the people who put in all their... Every, they go to work to understand these complexities. Mm -hmm. And you can't expect, I don't, I don't expect to understand what these people did or like all Directly, they do, but least, I understand yeah. 
and I trust that they put in the time and effort yeah. to really understand so how these like, things. Do you be tell done. your plumber how to fix your sink? Do you tell your mechanic how to fix your car? It's really kind of the same thing. My dad right? does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See that? Yeah, that's a problem here. A lot of. Um... <laughs> but he's a stubborn Italian. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> cultural <laughs> idiosyncrasies like that will come into play. But yeah, that's a lot of what drives like climate change denialism, right? That kind of thought, like. You, what makes you think you know what you're talking about? Well, uh, these people go to work every day. This is literally their fucking job to study this to the degree exactly. that it is possible and build these models, make these predictions, all based on rigorously collected data. And that's what makes these kind of studies so valuable because they're building on all of those um, climate models and kind of applying them to specific um, products or specific industries that will be affected um, by climate change. And so in particular, this study actually looked at all of the historical data based on both where coffee can grow, where it grows, as well as where the pollinators have been found all, um, from 1950 all the way to 2000. Yeah. So there's a 50 years worth of data that they were like, this is the way it's been for the past 50 years, like this you know, let's extrapolate this. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, build on these stories. Yeah, that so idea we know of, what the fuck to do. That idea of extrapolation is huge across the board in this kind of large scale climate research. You absolutely have to use what happened in the past, what's different now, how is that gonna change that? That's the big overall storyline to basically all these papers. Yeah. So okay. What did they find, right? So they they had some pretty alarming things but then also there's definitely a silver lining and we'll we'll talk about that so i think the first thing and you know is sucks oh yeah <laughs> like, this is especially definitely everybody who drinks coffee yeah especially everybody who drinks coffee not us <laughs> <laughs> not scientists the group of people who statistically drink the most do they really i've read that though that might be just a like some inside scientist joke like oh yeah we're always in the lab we're workaholics like those kind of you know um stereotypes yeah but i believe it i believe it i mean just from personal experience i literally drink coffee from like nine well okay, 6 a.m till about 12 yeah easily <laughs> easily on a normal day which is not healthy we're not condoning no, please the don't sole do consumption if you of don't coffee. already do that please don't start actually ah so all of my friends who know me really well know that in the past I was super sensitive to coffee. Oh. I would be like, drink coffee and have like a panic attack. Shit. Or I would like avoid it at all costs. Actually, ah, oh, I have to call Christina later. But so we were we were out camping, and somebody brought like chocolate covered espresso beans, oh. and I was like, oh yeah, those those are probably great. Let me let me eat some. So I had like five of them. Dangerous. Oh my god, I was like <laughs> off the wall. I was freaking out. I had like, to take some lorazepam. Oh my. This was god. like three years oh, ago. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like this is like middle school, high school. What are we talking about? Yeah, no, this was god. like. Yeah, something happened where, like, I couldn't even eat a chocolate-covered coffee bean Oof. to now, like, I am <laughs> moment I wake ejecting up. it yeah. into my fucking veins. Yeah. Okay. And that does top. not fare well for how they projected the decrease oh, yeah. of land that could be allocated for coffee production. Exactly. So what they found is that 73 to 80% uh, – okay, 
Let me rephrase this. There will be a 73 to 88% reduction in land area in Latin America that we will be able to grow coffee. Mm-hmm. So For a combination of the effects on the coffee plant itself and these pollinators that are directly responsible for the so like longevity. that's big. That's not yeah. like a fifty percent or like a twenty five percent. We're which talking are big like in themselves. This is three quarters. The vast three quarters majority of all coffee will not be able to be grown in those areas. And that's really sad too, because like a lot of the coffee that's grown in Latin America is like really done within this like I think I read it was like a four hectare acre area or like just four hectare acres in the whole country that produces coffee and like it it supports like over a hundred and hold on let me get this exact number yeah it was a really great piece in that it added that human aspect which a lot of these academic papers I feel lack a lot of the time yeah Yeah, it really was like this is going to hit hardest these people who are subsistence agriculturalists who really rely on this as their sole source of income. There's really nothing else in those regions besides growing coffee. And because they've done it for generations, it's a, it's a culturally ingrained part of who they are. And this is another um, like image of the, the human effect of climate change, right? When we see on the news, exactly. we see the emaciated polar bear, you know, balancing on a single little chunk of ice there. But this is what's going to happen to real people who are alive today, yeah. um, see their livelihood stripped away from them. So, okay, the number is that 90%, oh, wait, no, 100 million people are employed by the coffee industry Mm -hmm. just in Latin America. And think about it, 88%, you know, on the high end, 88% of the land that they currently grow is going to be gone. That is going to eliminate, I mean, you know, know, estimating 88% of those jobs. Yeah. Like, that's that's scary. That is really scary. For that many people. Um, <clears throat> okay, so that was one thing they found, right? The other is that that is in terms of the land that we can grow coffee on. They also saw that there, or they also predicted that there will be a 65% reduction in the number of types of bees. Mm-hmm. So, so there's some regions in like. Colombia, Bolivia, around that region of South America at least, where there can be up to 15 to 20 bee species coexisting in the same kind of ecological um, uh, ecosystem or ecological niche. Um, And some of these um, reduction numbers are looking at what if they lost of that 15, what if they lost like 10 of those species? What if there was, uh, again, a reduction of, would you say 60, 70%? 65%. 65% average. Um, and really, they have a beautiful figure in this paper. Let me tell you, the way the watermark of a great <laughs> paper is beautiful figures. And this is a beautiful figure. They showed the... Um, is on it a map, this one? Yeah, exactly. On a map of Latin America... I'm going to post it. Yeah, Instagram. we'll post it with it, yeah. There's a map of Latin America, so from Mexico all the way down to Argentina. And you can see exactly the regions where there will be loss of pollinator biodiversity, um, kind of color-coded. So regions that are darker red will have vast decimation. And you can see right in the middle of Colombia, there's just this huge part. Um, like southern Brazil looks like it's getting hit really hard, too. Um, what is this region right here? Um, I Is that 
That's the south part of Brazil. I am bad at geography. I am so bad at geography. (laughs) This is, we gotta be real with it here. That looks like. Yeah, it's the the south of Brazil. State of Mina. Yeah, it's a state in Brazil. Brazil's huge, right? Yeah, so that's like south. Oh, that's oh, the this south whole of Brazil. thing is Brazil. That's all Brazil. Wow, that's how big Brazil is. I knew Brazil huge. was big. It's Brazil huge. is like half of that country. Half the continent. Continent. Yeah. Oh <laughs> Sorry. I, Pause. I can hold. I talk too fast I for my brain to work. That's really what this is. Okay, yeah. So Brazil is. Wow, that's crazy. But yeah, we'll we'll post this figure so you can all see. And it is, it's, I I think I was talking with Sam about this about a couple episodes ago. How like, a very nice figure, a thousand words. Like a picture is worth a thousand words. That couldn't be truer. It's worth a hundred thousand words in science because the the amount of data that you shove into a little image is Mm -hmm. fantastic. Okay, all right. For the record, I can name (laughs) all. Seven continents. Hold up. Are there seven? Continents? <laughs> there are there, seven. There continents. are seven you continents. Okay, right. that's what I thought. All right, so I can yeah. name all of them, and <laughs> I know the difference. I think. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we had our good laugh, and we had you know the downside, and like you know, coffee's not going to do too great. The pollinators are not going to do too great. But there's actually a silver lining to this whole situation. And it's that early on we talked about how like the number of types or the t- the number of types of pollinators that there are sort of like plateaus when you reach a certain amount of pollinators, and that number was mm-hmm. like five to twenty. Mm-hmm. I know that's a big range, but like so really it's five. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that in these future climate models, that where coffee the plant is able to grow like these regions that were suitable in the future also had all were also suitable for at least up to five types of coffee or five types of pollinators Mm -hmm. so yes things are shrieking there's going to be a smaller amount but the good side is that yes these coffee plants will still be able to be pollinated by enough pollinators to to offset that loss of those other pollinators. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that brings us to another thing we wanted to talk about. So we rely, um, historically we've relied on the action of these pollinators to make sure these agriculturally um, important crops are able to grow at the scale that we need to in order to meet demands from, you know, various human societies that use these um, um, agriculturally important crops. Um, but now we're living in a new time where we don't have to. Oh, oh. Yes. Oh. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So technically, ten- Kevin's just slightly new. And not that this is a bad thing or anything, but I like to introduce this segment. Yeah. Okay. So that was the conclusion of the study, right? And so we do like to end every episode with sort of like, what can you do at home, right? And I think this is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. And that's fine. That's what we're here that's for. What, that's what we're here for. We're here to make you uncomfortable, okay? So, right. C- continue on, Kevin. Uh, yeah, so as I was saying, um, yeah, historically relying on pollinators, but now 
we live in a time where we can custom make those plants to really uh, be more suitable to our needs and as those needs change based on the effects of global climate change. Um, and so, again, as we've historically relied on pollinators to make sure um, these plants can remain uh, pollinated, able to reproduce for generations and generations, now with the advent of recombinant DNA biotechnology, which I'm sure we'll have plenty of talk about in um, future and past episodes. Um, I think future. I don't know if we've yeah, talked about this. We haven't? Yet. Okay. So. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll um, introduce that in more detail coming up. But this is what you will generally hear referred to in common talk as genetically modified organisms or GMOs. Snap, 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 snap. And so um, what we can kind of modulate by genetically modifying these organisms is their need or how resilient they may be to the loss of these pollinators. Maybe they are able to self-pollinate in a way that's sustainable. Maybe they are able to rely on different types of pollination schemes, artificial pollination, either by human intervention or some kind of... Um, I've read something about... Um, engineering little drones to more or less pollinate in the in cases where there's extreme biodiversity loss of uh, natural pollinators. We um, make our own biodiversity. Exactly, in um, bioengineering the pollinators themselves. So there's just lots of um, ways in which we could approach this problem using what's generally referred to as um, GMOs. Exactly. And, and along with that, right, the thing that you at home can do is eat more GMO foods. Absolutely. The more you support that, the more money can go back into the research and development side of those things. Not that we're plugging anything. We are not <laughs> making money. I don't think either of us work like in this. the GMO field. Yeah, I don't make any. Really. Um, no, I do in the lab. I definitely yeah, work. But yours with, are like bacteria that, like. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. But so, right. We're telling you to eat more GMOs. And like the key thing is like linking that back to bees. And a lot of the GMOs um, make their own pesticides or in a way like prevent growth of fungus or things like that. Mm -hmm. So they're not actually spraying all these other chemicals that can attack bees. So yes. if you eat more GMOs, you limit the amount of pesticides that are out there killing bees. Precisely. And I'm pretty sure there's people being like, well, what about organic foods? What about those? Mm -hmm. Well, he, I, I, I was talking to somebody and like, people don't understand that they still spray pesticides on organics. You actually have to spray more on um, organics, I guess, if they're considered to be, this was the like heirloom variety this is what we've used for generations and this has been unchanged definitely untouched by dna biotechnology mm -hmm. now uh, a large part of the um agriculture uh, agricultural biotechnology revolution was to kind of mitigate those factors that would be limiting the um being able to mass scale up um the production of different crops and what that's led to with this whole organic food um, movement, to my understanding, is that you now have to recompensate for the loss of those beneficial genetic mutations introduced through biotechnology. You now have to make up for that by using more pesticides, using more fertilizer. So it's really a more resource intensive process 
and environmentally damaging process to actually grow these non-GMO organic foods? And then my next question would be, for what purpose or for what good is that? Exactly. And, and you know, the, the fertilization and these pesticides that they're spraying on these organics are harmful to bees, right? So the only way to really protect bees is to eat more GMOs that have less pesticide on them, you know? And I I think there was, I I do want to clarify sort of like, what do we mean between like what a natural pesticide, you know, because there's a, there's, one of the main differences between like a uh, an organic food and a non-organic food has to do with the type of pesticide or like well there's a lot mm-hmm. but like one thing is the pesticide that's sprayed on them and it literally comes down to whether or not the compound was extracted or whether or not the compound was chemically altered at mm-hmm. all so yeah, in a great. lot of these synthetics it has been altered Mm -hmm. Um, in a beneficial way and for more of these natural pesticides it hasn't been altered but at the end of the day like a pesticide is a toxin Mm -hmm. its goal is to kill something yeah so we can even think about you know natural pesticides that plants produce themselves like in coffee caffeine itself animals cannot they don't jive well with that it's really poisonous to them if they eat that and yet yet we we are sucking it down every (laughs) single day yeah Yeah, okay so that's just a way to think about that yeah so we, we wanted to clarify that little controversial tidbit. Oh, or, we will return to this. Oh, we will definitely show this. throughout this, the tenure of yeah. this uh, program. Because we, we think that this is a topic that the public needs to know about, and we want to ed- educate you in a meaningful manner. Absolutely. So that's a uh, – we'll all get to learn about all that stuff later. Yeah, but also, if you want to help save yeah. the bees when you're at the supermarket – choose to go with the gmo food over the non-gmo food it's probably also cheaper <laughs> yeah oh, so save your wallet that's so you can nice. buy non-plastic and reusable plates and napkins yeah and so that's that also note, good <laughs> if you've got any questions about specifics of that like making these decisions or if you've heard something about gmos that's been troubling to you you want us to address it uh shoot us a message on instagram that's what you do messages they still call them that yeah shoot us a message <laughs> on there they're called or dms so, dms oh yeah slide, slide up into on our dms <laughs> yeah, i didn't know that yeah <laughs> yeah and then we'll do our best to address that on the show or just hit you back and yeah we'll, yeah we'll have a chat about that we want this to be a dialogue between the scientific community and the public that's really one of our main goals here so yeah even if it's just kevin and i sitting here talking at you yeah <laughs> <laughs> still a dialogue so that concludes this episode i want to thank you all for tuning in and as always thank you my name is mike and i'm kevin Thank you for listening to Microscope, presented by Whatever You Say Productions. Learn more at microscopepodcast.com. That's M-I-K-R-O-S-C-O-P-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com.